What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Probably the most used phrase on this podcast I heard from Pastor Ron Dunn, God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences, especially those experiences that come from the valley. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to welcome you into this leadership journey as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Episode 185 is going to be a good one. We sit down with Pastor Brady Boyd to talk about these lessons learned from the valley. But before we dive into the content today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for those that have left ratings and reviews. We've had over 150 ratings that have come in and just received this review from TP3883. This podcast is great for leaders and even more for those who don't think they may be a leader. I can't tell you how many times I've picked up something that I can apply from one of these conversations. Anyone can learn from these interviews, whether or not they're a leader. Such great content that I look forward to each episode. So if you're on iTunes or you're on Spotify especially, please stop and at least leave a rating. It it so helps others find their way to us. It's amazing how many don't even know this is out there. And this just gives that opportunity for them to be able to grow not only in their leadership, but in their spiritual leadership. Well, today I grew from this conversation. I had heard so much about Pastor Brady Boyd through the years from a good friend that pastors in Denver to another friend that was out there for a season that attended Brady's church and just raved about the kind of leader he was. And I tell you what, after getting off our call, there's no doubt about it. It's amazing his journey that you're going to enjoy, what got him to the place of pastoring new life. Pastor Brady is one of those people that it comes across very quickly who he is, and it comes across very quickly what he's about. And I tell you what, man, it is it is such a blessing to have gotten to know him. New Life is a phenomenal church out in the Colorado Springs area, and they have been at it for a long, long time. But when Pastor Brady took over, they were reeling from just some things they were having to walk through that he'll cover as a church. And then right after, they walked through a super, super dark season, and he led them through that time. I I think this is going to be so, so interesting for you. I don't know what leads you to join in today or what you may or may not be going through, but this conversation will encourage you. It will encourage you that you can make it. It will encourage you that no matter the valley, there's something to be learned. So I want you to do me a favor and I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Pastor Brady Boyd. 
Well, Pastor Brady, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is a honor to have you. Well, we're glad to be, I'm so glad to be here with you. We got a lot in common. Uh, we're both from the deep South. We both love sports. We both have probably lost our voice yelling and screaming at a television <laughs> set in the last few months. And uh, I, I tell people all the time, I don't really have a ton of hobbies, but I do obsess with college football, college baseball, college basketball, pro sports. I think that's how a lot of pastors release a lot of stress out of their lives. Or in my case, being an LSU fan, I think it adds stress to my life. <laughs> I can't determine if it's helping or hurting right now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I think it's a chance we get to get out guess everybody else that's that's going, why are they doing that when everybody else does that to us for a living, right? So it works out good. So when you were growing up in Louisiana, what did you dream life would look like for you? Where well, did you I, dream things would turn out? Certainly not in Colorado, pastoring a church in Colorado. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. The end of the earth is about two miles from where I grew up. <laughs> and that's not a joke, you know, but I grew up, uh, I grew up with a, as a chronic heart patient. So honestly, my doctors told me I wouldn't live past 12 or 13 years mm. old. Uh, but w through a series of miraculous events, Denton Cooley, which was the world's, one of the world's greatest cardiologists back in that day, did my surgery and saved my life. Wow. And I always thought that I would be, uh, living in Louisiana, deer hunting all fall, fishing all summer with a wife and about four kids in a double wide trailer. That's what I <laughs> felt like my future would look like. And I thought that would be a great future, by the way. Yep. I grew up in a very poor home. My mom never graduated high school. She's a very godly, prayerful woman. My dad worked in a poultry plant where live chickens came in the front door and uh, fried chicken came out the back door. <laughs> and so very blue collar. Uh, I was the first uh, person in my on either side of my family to graduate from college. Uh, so in a lot of ways, I've been a trailblazer, a bit of a pioneer for my family. Never thought at all that I would be a pastor. In fact, I made a deal with God early on that if he would let me do anything other than be a pastor, I would, I would serve him with my hair on fire, right? Mm. And um, so he called me into pastoral ministry after I graduated college. I have a, an unusual route that I've a path that I took to become a pastor. Um, I, I, I say to leaders all the time, don't, don't make deals with God. Cause that's when God laughs at us, right? That's when we right. Make, make deals with him, trust the Lord to guide you every day of your life. Um, my, I have a very simple way. I just wake up every morning. I welcome the Holy spirit into my life. And I say, father in heaven, what are you up to today? How can I be a part? And I, I tell people, if you'll do those two things every morning, welcome the Holy spirit, and ask the Lord where you can serve him that day, that you're going to look up in 25 years and you're going to be right in the middle of his will. That's right. You're going to be full of peace, full of joy. Uh, you're going to live a, a life of great adventure. And I, I just every day pinch myself for the life that I get to live because I never imagined myself being in this spot and in this place, getting to do what I get to do. Uh, and it's the Lord's grace, his goodness, his kindness toward me. Uh, I'm thankful for it every second of every mm -hmm. day. You know, it's so funny. You you say I grow up right near the end of the earth from two simple parents who they were raising you the best they could. What did they do then that you use even in your life now, pastoring one of America's largest churches, one of its most well-known churches? What were some things they deposited in your journey then that you're living out now? It's flowing through your life now. 
Well, my mom and dad were fearless people, and they they taught me to live without anxiety and without fear. Mm. They gave me permission to explore, to uh, be myself. They gave me permission to be wild and free when I was a young man in a good way. I mean, they they put limitations on my life. They were very good parents, but they also let me be uh, explored. I lived out in the middle of nowhere. I had a horse. I tell people I had a horse, a gun, and a hatchet when I was seven years old. I would get on the back of my horse with barely any clothes on. It was like Tom Sawyer. I had that kind of childhood. And I know that's not possible in 2023, but in 1970, hmm. 1975, when I was growing up in Northwest Louisiana, I get on the back of my horse with a hatchet and a gun and be gone all day long uh, at seven or eight or nine years old. Hmm. And so that kind of idyllic childhood prepared me to live a fearless life. Like, I've had to uh, confront some evil uh, in my church. I've had a gunman come on my campus. I've had evil attack our church. And it was in those moments where I look back and I think the Lord was preparing me at eight or nine years old How about that? to live a life of adventure without fear and anxiety and uh, crippling uh, doubt. My parents just let me explore. They let me, they gave me just enough boundaries to protect me, but they gave me space. They mm. didn't smother me. Uh, they didn't over what they, they were, you know, we got helicopter parents everywhere. Now my parents didn't, didn't uh, put those kind of restrictions on me. They were godly. My mom, my mom was the most prayerful woman I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Even today at 76 years old, she's the most prayerful person I know. She prayed over me. They disciplined me. That was back in the day when spankings were legal. So mm -hmm. I got plenty there was about a dozen people who could spank me and to get away with it. <laughs> so there was a there was a communal list of people that had yes. access to your rear end. Do you remember those days where oh my when gosh. my mom and dad they there was twelve or thirteen people who could grab me and spank me and then tell my mom and dad later about it? <laughs> That's unheard of today, right? <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. That is I, fantastic. I tell young parents that story today, and you can just see that all the blood go out of their face, like. They can't imagine a world where that even existed. I went, oh, that that was every day at my house. Oh yeah, yeah. And there was <laughs> listen, listen. Fear, fear kept us out of a lot of trouble, man. I'm just telling you, <laughs> the fear of my mother kept my shit eyeballs everywhere, and I was terrified of her. So I totally, I totally get it. I totally you know, get book, it. In the book of Revelation, where you're describing that beast with eyes in the back of their heads, he's obviously describing a mother. <laughs> That is so good. That is so good. So you you surrender your life to ministry, you accept that call, and then you end up at one of the greatest churches out at Gateway with Robert Morris in a really, really cushy job in a lot of ways because you're protected. You're not the one. You're protected. Did you think you were going to be there forever, or did you always know, no, nah, I want to be the guy one day? What, what would you say? Well, there was a season where I was very content, you know, and Gateway was a great time for me. We went from, you know, 100 people to 15,000 people in six years. Mm. It was explosive growth, and it was almost killed me, quite honestly, because it was so overwhelming. Uh, but I did know that there was something in my life. Uh, I was, listen, I tell people all the time, if you want to lead a team, you need to learn how to follow. Mm. The best mm. leaders are the best followers. And there's so many young men and women right now that they have this zeal and this passion to be leaders, but they've never learned how to follow. And one of the things I learned at Gateway Church under Robert Morris was to how to serve another man's vision. Mm. 
Mm. And how to surrender myself to that and be okay with that. And, and did Robert and I didn't always agree, but I learned to submit myself to authority there. I learned to trust people. I, I learned what leadership felt like from the other side. The reason we have so many young, abusive leaders right now is because they never learned what leadership felt like from the That's other right. side. That's right. And I learned uh, what good leadership felt like, what bad leadership felt like. And I, I, I took copious notes. And when Pam and I came to New Life Church, one thing we said to ourselves, and we said it out loud to one another, I don't know how big New Life Church will ever be. I don't know if we'll ever have national or international influence. That's not the goal. The goal was to always lead a healthy staff culture. And I learned how to do that by surrendering myself, uh, really tending someone else's sheep on the backside of the desert before I asked for a flock of my own. That's really and good. Way too many young leaders want a flock of their own, but they've never tended another man's flock. And they, they it sets them up for failure. So think back to that time when you were with Robert, knowing what you know now after your seasons at New Life, what would you do different as Brady working in Texas, not being the guy? What would you do different as a follower and not the ultimate leader, knowing what you know about being the leader? Well, I would ask better questions when I had one-on-one -on -one time with Robert. Uh, I, I saw the stress that was on him as a senior pastor, and I never quite understood it until I became the senior pastor of a large church myself. I probably would ask better questions, pick his brain a little more, uh, ask him for how he managed his internal soul. So much of our uh, learning right now, we try to t uh, learn how to preach, or we learn how to lead, or we want to learn how to lead a board. But all of that is actually a direct reflection of what's going on inside of our mm -hmm. hearts and minds. Above all else, guard your heart, for That's it is good. the wellspring of life. My question probably as a 35-year-old back to Robert Morris would, how are you guarding your heart? How are you keeping your heart clean? How are you keeping your mind pure? How are you restoring your soul? What I would go back to the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures that leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That is the essence, quite honestly, of healthy leadership. If you don't ever... If you, if you can never embrace God as shepherd and see yourself as a sheep that needs a shepherd, it's very difficult for you to become a shepherd. So I had to learn how to be a sheep before I could become a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the missing link with a lot of our discipleship strategy, with a lot of our leadership pipelines right now. And a lot of people even in the corporate world that are listening, we have to help people deal with the internal mechanisms of their soul, their anxiety, their depression, the dark spirits that tend to contaminate the human condition, right? And I, I think if we would address that as the primary concern, a lot of these auxiliary things, a lot of the leadership strategies, the leadership, whatever, would come out of us naturally, but we're ignoring the dark places of our soul and expecting to get good results from people who have never been healed. And Broken people make terrible leaders, right? Healed leaders. Healed people make good leaders. That's good. And I, I think that's been my mission for the last several years is helping young men and women develop good rhythms, uh, healthy strategies, uh, making sure they have time, learn how to honor the Sabbath. Do, uh, most people don't even know how to take a day off. 
They don't even understand the beauty and the, the gift of uh, Sabbath. Uh, and so they're tired, they're fatigued, they're exhausted, and they don't know how to rest. Mm. You leave that incredible opportunity. I've heard you compare it a lot to Nehemiah. I heard you talking to your church about, you know, <laughs> you, you really resonate with Nehemiah because Nehemiah's got a pretty good deal going, sitting in the king's palace as a wine taster, and he gets a burden for his homeland and goes back and really enters the the firing squad in a lot of ways. You leave Dallas, Texas, and move to Colorado Springs, coming behind a fallen leader, a founding, not only just a fallen leader, a founding fallen leader that's been in every newspaper, every talk show, everything. How did you know that was for you? How did you know this is the assignment God has for me? Well, I wish I could say it was some kind of courageous decision. I was really just naive and innocent, you know, and I think there's something to that. When you're a young leader, everything seems possible, right? Yep. When you, I was, I was 40 years old, I turned 56 tomorrow. So 16 years ago, I was a different Brady. I mean, I was a different, I was a young man. I was idealistic. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was in that stage of my life where God, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go, whatever you tell me to say, I'll say. So there was a sense of naivety, maybe a bit of innocence, but there was a desire in me to do something that was difficult too. I could see myself going down an easy path and I didn't like what I would, I, I didn't think I would become a very good human being if I always chose the easy path. Mm. And I thought this is a chance for me to prove my mettle for God, either God's going to come through or I'm going to fail miserably. Mm. And that was kind of exhilarating to me, quite honestly, to say I got to trust the Lord for this, or this is not going to go well. And mm. to my surprise, the Lord showed up every single day and somehow we got through those first three or four years where it was dark and difficult. And I've been at New Life now for 15 years to pastor here. And we're now beginning to eat fr fruit from trees that we planted. That's right. But in those early days, you're eating fruit from trees that you didn't plant. Mm. And sometimes the fruit is bitter. I mean, a lot mm. of that fruit was bitter. It was ugly. It was nasty. And I was not responsible for it, but I had to eat it. And I had to plant new trees. And that's slow and difficult work sometimes. And I just had to be patient. I had to have some resolve. I had to trust the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. <laughs> and that's easier said than done. <clears throat> a lot of people talk about trusting God until you have to trust God. Mm. Until God's all you have, right? That's right. Uh, you, don't know, you don't know how much you need God until God's all you have. And there were days, there were many days, I just wake up and say, Lord, you're all I have. Mm. I don't have the leadership expertise that's needed here. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I don't have, I don't have the money or the resources to solve this problem. So God, either you do holy work that only you can do, or this is not going to get done. That's good. And man, I just, I just learned to live by faith and I'm still learning to live by faith. Here I am 56 years old. I wish I could graduate from that, but it, it, it seems like to me that every time I try to graduate from that school, they add a couple of years to it. That's it. <laughs> so what I've decided is there is no graduation. Yeah. It's a continual walk a continual faith walk. I remember hearing a, a great Bible teacher who I loved, and he said, you know, if you'll notice in Scripture, God saved his most difficult test for most leaders of their late in life. I'm like, don't say that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. It's supposed to get easier, not harder. Not harder. <laughs> so what I love about your journey, though, Pastor Brady, is you, you go there in obedience. God begins to bless it. And about 100 days in, 
you walk through another tragedy when a when a shooter shows up on campus when when that happened and you it became your church right you had to grab the reins during that season what was the hardest part of that and what was the part of that that god has used most in your leadership well, thank you. Uh, it was a dark season. It was the darkest day of my life when that happened. And uh, Pastor Jack Hafer just passed away on Sunday. Uh, he was in my office that day when it happened. He was sitting in my office. Wow. He had just preached for me. And he was. He and I were having lunch together when that gunman came on our campus. I was thought a lot about Pastor Jack. He died on Sunday, and uh, this past Sunday. And he was a hero to me that day. He laid hands on me that day. Mm. He said, Pastor Brady, you're not going to make a bad decision for 10 days. Now, I don't know where he came up with that wow. number. The Lord, obviously. And I stopped him and I said, hey, can you can you add some days to that? <laughs> How about a year? But it was, it, was, it was unusual. It was the Lord because we didn't bury the two girls that died until 10 days later. And there wow. were tons of decisions that we had to make in those 10 days. And I could, I just felt the divine wisdom of the Lord. And it was really because Pastor Jack, an mm. older man, he was in his seventies at the time, laid his hands on me and said, Brady, you have what it takes. You're going to be okay. God's going to give you wisdom. And I just, I just look back on that time. And I think how many young men and women don't have spiritual dads and moms mm. to lay their hands on them in those trying times. They feel orphaned. They feel alone. And I, I, I'm so grateful that God put men like Jack Hayford in my life during that season uh, where he could lay hands on me, pray over me, call me and check on me. Um, and he did that. I, I, so I, what I learned was is that uh, I, could, I could succumb to fear or I could overcome fear. And fear was to try to cripple us. I mean, we had a, an armed gunman kill people at our church. That, that, that's scary. Yes. I heard the gunfire. My wife and my two small kids were in the building. They had just left. I was, I was scared for them. I was scared for my people. But something happened in those two or three days after the shooting where the Lord came and blessed us with the gift of peace. Mm. We had a worship night. Three nights after the shooting, we gathered together. 6,000 people showed up for a prayer meeting. I haven't had a prayer meeting that big since, but it was big that night. The place was packed. And we begin to sing a song that had been written in New Life called Overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We will overcome. That song was actually the Billboard number one worship song that year. Mm. It was written here at New Life by John Egan. And we begin to sing that song. And I got up after the song and I said, we will not be governed by fear. And that was on the front page of the newspaper the next morning. We will not be governed by fear. And I think that set us on a course, a trajectory. I could see something happened that night in my congregation, like people's shoulders kind of squared back. They, I saw their eyes light up a bit. And we have, even today, here we are in 2023, so many things out there to make us afraid. And how many times in the Bible does Jesus, the prophet, the scriptures tell us, do not be afraid? That's right. Over 300 times is That's what right. I've, I've heard almost like it's a daily reminder that fear cannot lead us. We have to be, be people of faith and not of fear. And I think that's what I learned that day. I, I'm still learning even today. 
That's so good. I, you know, you you made a comment somewhere, and in, in the comment, I thought it was so apropos to not only that season but life seasons, that the valley's not our home. You know, in Psalm twenty three, as we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, why is it so important for leaders and people in general to remember? This is just something you're passing through. You're yeah. not going to be there forever. What's that done for you to remember that in life personally yeah. and corporately as you lead? Well, one of the benefits of getting older is you have a long uh, stretch of faithful promises that the Lord's made to you. And you have a long stretch of faithful promises that he's fulfilled. That's right. Yeah, we have history, right? And while while dark things are happening, when the darkest days of our lives happen to us, it does seem like it's going to be permanent. It really does. I mean, the darkness can be so overwhelming. And for some people watching this today that's lost a child or a spouse or had something, some kind of tragic diagnosis given to them, it does seem like that that's going to be forever. But we are on a journey, and the valley is not our home. And the, good, the reason it's not our home is because he's with us. The part of that scripture that makes the most sense to me is that he is walking with us, his rod, his staff, they're there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for he is with me. That's right. And the presence of God is what carries us through every dark season. I, I, I tell people all the time that the, the single greatest thing we can do for the people that we're responsible for, our children, the people that we pastor, is to help them fall in love with the presence of God and to hear his voice through the scriptures, through prayer, through uh, private counsel. There's lots of ways that God can speak to us. But to give our people an appetite for his presence and for his voice. And if you have an appetite in your life for God's presence and his voice, there's just not anything that's going to happen to you that will cause devastation. You're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death if you know his presence and you know his voice. You know, you, you as a leader— especially there at the beginning, walk through valleys. You've had valleys since, many valleys, but you understand in leadership, and, and it, we hear that phrase all the time, the speed of the leader is the speed of the team, right? How did you keep your pace right as the leader to not go, okay, I need a, I need a siesta. I need to go get some red beans and rice and some gumbo and go hide in the trees. How did you How did you keep moving so your organization and your people kept moving at that? Well, that's a good question. Luke chapter five. I remember during that season of time, I was reading Luke chapter five, and it says that Jesus was going from town to town, laying hands on the sick, and crowds of people were thronging his way. But it's, then there's this, this kind of obscure passage right in the middle of that bizarre, chaotic scene. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I saw that one day in my Bible. I mean, I've read that story a thousand times, right? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I just remember falling under the conviction of the Lord saying, Brady, often I need you to withdraw from the crowds, from the chaos, from the turmoil of leadership and find a lonely place and be with me. And I began to do that. I began to honor the Sabbath in a way that I'd never honored the Sabbath. And I wrote a book called Addicted to Busy. It's my, of all the books I've written, it's probably the bestseller uh, that I've ever written because it, the message resonates with our chaotic culture that we live in. We are addicted to busy. 
And it, 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 busyness gives us this adrenaline rush that we can't find anywhere else. So we run to it. While Sabbath is the place of refueling, though. Mm. So busyness is a place of, adre- of an adrenaline rush, for sure. But Sabbath is the only place that we can refuel. So I was walking through the streets of Jerusalem one time. I think it was maybe the first or second time I was ever in Israel. It was Friday night. Shabbat was happening in in Jerusalem. The whole town goes quiet. And I heard a rabbi say to another rabbi, as they passed one another, he said, Shabbat Shalom. So the guy I was with, I said, what does that mean? I know what Shabbat means. I know what Shalom means. Shabbat means Sabbath. You know, shalom means peace, basically Shabbat Shalom. And he said, actually, it has a very complicated meaning. He said, may you find God in your rest. And may you find that God is the only source of your rest. Hello. I, and I thought that is the most beautiful thing I've heard. May you find God when you rest. And may you discover during your rest that God is the only source of that rest. That's so good. So that is that is what I have determined to do. Shabbat Shalom. I say that over myself. Usually on Fridays or Saturdays, my day off, I make sure that I find God in my rest. And I make sure I remind God that he is the source of my rest. That's right. And and I and I love what you've done because now it wasn't like you survived a year. Now we're we're 15 years out of all the chaos that it began with. And you've rebuilt trust. You, you know, that organization is built on that trust. What was the secret as a leader to rebuilding trust with your people when it had been broken from the seat that you sit in? So what, yeah. what, what was the, what's some of the secret sauce behind that? Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. And it was hard. The only, the only way to rebuild trust is to do the right thing for the right reason for a very long time. There are no shortcuts. So you, you earn drops, you earn trust in drops and you lose it in bucketfuls. So you just have to do the right thing for the right reason for a really long time. In other words, say what you mean, mean what you say, be a man of integrity for a long time. I've been here 15 years now, so I can stand up in front of my church and I can say hard things. Now I can, Mm -hmm. I can challenge them. I can correct them. I can, uh, you know, as a shepherd, sometimes you have to say hard things because it's not good news until you tell them bad news, right? That's right. So you have to tell them the good news, bad news before you tell them the good news. And I've earned that now because and a man told me that when I was a very young pastor, he said, Brady, uh, don't, don't spend anything. Don't manipulate. Be honest. Uh, it, it, your people can handle more truth than you think. Uh, make sure they know that you love them. That you, and you can't imagine how much God loves them. You just can't imagine it, he said. And he said, so get up there and love them and be truth to them. Be kind, be honest, be direct, uh, and say what you mean and mean what you say. And that proved to be true. I mean, that, I have not always gotten that right. I, can, I wish I could say that I've gotten up every Sunday and hit it out of the park. I mean, there are times when I realize I could have said things better, and I've had to apologize. But over the course of 15 years, it's been my desire to be a man of integrity in front of them, to be honest and sincere, to to for people to see the real human being. Mm. Listen, so many pastors are trying to be Superman, and the church doesn't need Superman. That's right. the, you don't have to be the authority on every topic. You don't have to be. Um, you don't have to be more than human. Somebody asked me the other day, "What's my goal for the last half of my ministry life?" 
And I said, I want to get to the end of my ministry career and be fully human. Mm. And Eugene Peterson said that to me. I got to spend some time with him at his house in Montana before he died. And he said, Brady, your goal should be at the end of your ministry career to be fully human. I said, so what do you mean by that? He said, when you're in your 70s and 80s, can you laugh when you're supposed to laugh? Can you cry when you're supposed to cry? Do you care deeply for the people around you? That's when you know you're fully human. He says, so many men and women in ministry, they put on a facade of perfection for 30 or 40 years, and they get to the end of their life, and they don't know how to cry. Mm. They don't know how to laugh. They don't know how to tell a joke <laughs> or even to hear a joke. And they, they have every relationship in their life has been transactional, so they don't even know how to have a friend. And he said, don't be that man at the end of your ministry career. You don't have friends. You don't know how to laugh. You don't know how to cry. You don't know how to tell a joke. He said, that's what it means to be fully human, to care deeply, to be moved with the right emotions at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is a great, that's a great mission for me mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. That's my goal now, mm -hmm. is to love my wife, love my children, and to be a human being when I retire. That, I have never heard that, number one, that statement. That is phenomenal. And I think for, for you and I, you know, we've got the fours up on the sideline, right? We're, we're <laughs> the fourth quarter's clicking, man, and they've started the clock, and we're out of timeout, right? And so the clock, the clock is running, and it goes quick. It goes quick. I, I've got two friends that know you. I do not. We've never met. This is the first time we've ever met, and it breaks my heart. I'm just meeting you. Uh, <laughs> but this is what I've heard about you. When I was at my lowest, he loved me well. Mm -hmm. those are from two pastors. What gave you the heart? You got plenty of people there. You got a big old church to love. You got a big old staff to love. What would cause you to look outside and go, yeah, they're hurting, man. I need to be there for them. Mm -hmm. What What would you say? Well, first of all, I appreciate those kind words from your friends. And um, I, I, I feel like that I'm just paying forward what was given to me during the lowest parts of my life. Every time I found myself in the valley, the shadow of death, not only, not only would I discover that God was with me, but God always surprised me with friends, mm. new friends. And I just feel like I've been blessed over 27 years of ministry to find friends who would walk with me when it things, when I had nothing to give them back. I mean, there are plenty of people that will be my friend when I have something to give them. There are very few people that will be my friend when I have nothing to give them. And the ones that I treasure are the ones who will be with me when I have nothing to give. And I have found that I God give, gave me a handful of people like that. And uh, I know one of your friends that you're talking about, when I met him, I could just see the goodness in his life. He was a good man, a good person. He loved his church, loved his people. And my heart, I have compassion for pastors, number one. This is the most difficult work. I can't imagine anybody wanting to be a pastor. First of all, I, I had a young man tell me the other day, he goes, Pastor Brady, I want to be a pastor. I said, try with all of your heart, soul, and might to talk God out of that. <laughs> he looked at me with this bewildered look. I said, and let me say, I'm being honest. I said, because if he, if you can, if you can be talked out of it, then you aren't called. That's right. I said, so it has to be something that's seared into your soul because it's very difficult. Mm. And there's going to be a hundred days that you want to quit. So you have to be reminded of this divine call or you That's will good. quit. So hi, hey, let's, 
let's make sure we hang out more often. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. That's so good. You, one of the other things both of those guys noted was the incredible um, leaders you have around you. They said one of the things that we were fascinated by about Pastor Brady is the quality of the people he surrounds himself with. Where did you learn that? And how do you remain secure in that? When somebody's really good, how does it not become a threat to you and your leadership? They're younger. They may be a better communicator or a better, better leader. How have you learned to be good at being you while letting them be them? Well, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of wrestling to the floor, all those insecurities. And it's true that the number one reason that most pastors don't have other leaders around them is our own insecurities. That's right. Our need, our need to find our identity in ministry. And I was grateful that the Lord helped me wrestle that to the ground. First of all, we're all interim pastors. The church <laughs> is going to be here after I'm gone. The church was here before right. I was born. That's and the right. church will exist after I'm gone. I'm an interim pastor. Yep. So this thing is not built around my personality or my strengths. I bring strength. I bring personality to the congregation. But I just remember when I was in my 20s, there were pastors who gave me space mm. and there were pastors who suffocated me. Mm. And I, I just made up my mind in my 40s and 50s that I was going to be a leader who gave space. Mm. And I was going to champion leaders around me and give them opportunities to thrive in my presence. I, this past Sunday, I was wrestling. I had some voice issues. I couldn't preach, so I had to call on one of my young communicators, and he hit it out of the park. He preached basically my message, but he preached it better than me. He was fantastic, and it gave me a sense of pride, and I was like, I love this guy. Mm. and I want them to give him a standing ovation as he walks off the stage, and I'm okay with that yep. because I'm an interim pastor, and this does not belong to me. My identity has to be made up by something other than the stage, by titles and stages. Listen, most of us have been discipled by the stage and not by sages. And we're paying a price for that right now. Mm. Sages are who discipled me. And so that when I got the stage, it didn't corrupt my soul. A lot of young leaders are giving the stage, but they have no sages in their life who are getting them wisdom. And I was grateful that that got reversed in my my case. I had a lot of time with some great leaders before I ever became anybody. Nobody knew my name. Mm. Uh, And I was being taught something on the backside of the desert before I ever got any kind of notoriety. And I'm grateful for that, quite honestly, because I'm not sure I could have handled it otherwise. You know, you you mentioned something earlier that that plays into this last little section you, you talked about being a spiritual father. You know, God is really, you're in that season now to pour in and to give back and to see value and to add value. And I, and I heard Jensen Franklin mentioned here recently, he said, you know, that that season is not for us to race our spiritual brothers. We're, we're to be their father. We're to be out in front of them, not be competing with them. You, you just did a series on distractions or a message on distractions. It was so good. How do you remain focused on the finish line of life and not let yourself get distracted by the things that could keep you from being who God called you to be? Yeah, it's a good question. 
I've been waking up every morning for the last few years asking the Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to do that no one else can do? Mm. And I know that's been said by many other leaders and, you know, leadership experts, but I'm finding that very few pastors are really asking that question. What is it that I'm supposed to do that no one else really can do? That's right. So that everyone else can do what they're supposed to do. Yep. And I, I learned a long time ago that the best thing I can do, I, I spend about 90% of my time coaching, about 10% of my time developing content, and then the rest of it, I'm coaching. I'm available. I am speaking and coming, you know, listen, coaching is not, this is not a, uh, this is not a science. Okay. It's not rocket science. Yep. Coaching is being present. That's right. Coaching is being with them. So a lot of times when like, if I go on a trip, if I go, uh, for a drive somewhere, take somebody with you. Yeah. Don't, don't travel alone. Uh, grab one of those leaders and say, Hey, come with me. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me how many conversations, unplanned conversations I have with these young leaders where I could have sat down in a formal way and taken them through a curriculum and taken them through some kind of process or school. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But a lot of times just having a relational equity, spending time being present, being near them is the key to developing leaders around you. It, number one, it builds likability. It builds loyalty uh, they're, they're, they, uh, if, first of all, if your team doesn't like you, they're not going to follow you. <laughs> so be fun. Yeah. Like laugh, tell a joke. Like right now I'm 56 years old and I've got a whole bunch of dad jokes that I've been saving up for this season of my life. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell every one of them before I retire. Uh... And probably many of them multiple times, but just be likable, be enjoyable. Yep. Don't take, listen, I take what I do very seriously. I don't take myself seriously though. Mm, mm. And I just, when I'm around other leaders that they just take themselves way too seriously, I don't tend to spend much time with them because I, I just, I can't gather, I can't get something from someone that I don't enjoy being around. That's right. And that's right. our team, that's what I want for our staff. When I walk in the room, our staff, they don't snap to attention. We usually are laughing you know, our, 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 our ribs are hurting. We're laughing so much. We're having so much fun. We're joyful with one another. And when it's time to be serious, we can be serious. That's right. When it's time to do serious work. That comes natural and easy. But make sure that you're building a culture of joy and fun and celebration. And, you're, and you will never lack for leaders. Leaders are attracted to that. They don't care how smart you are if you're a jerk. That's right. They don't care if you're an expert, if you're not nice. Right. So I, I'm, I, I tell my staff all the time, there's one trait that is required for you to work at new life church. You have to be kind. Mm -hmm. If you're not kind, you cannot work here. Yep. And there have been some people over 15 years that have tested that. And I've gone to them and said, listen, I'm giving you the last warning. You're not nice. You yep. don't play well with others. You're not considerate. And if you're not going to be kind, go work somewhere else. Mm. But that is something I've enforced for 15 years. I am kind. My wife is kind. When you're around us, we say, please. Yeah. We say, thank you. We know people's names. We're asking about their children. We're kind. Mm. And maybe that's my Southern thing. But I think it's a Bible thing. I think it's a godly thing. Yeah. It's the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, mm. joy, kindness. Let those things, that is, that's the essence of our staff culture. 
That's we're not. Fantastic. You we're know, kind. I, I love, you know, watching the the little series, The Chosen, that's come out. They present Jesus in such, I told my wife the other day, I said, this sounds terrible. This makes me sound like an idiot. <laughs> but I hope when I get to heaven that Jesus is really like that guy because that guy is so, it's like everybody wants to be with him. Everybody right. wants to be around him. And it there is so much there and you can sense it. Pastor Brady, just in, just in, you know, I've heard your messages and heard you on podcast and you can, you can sense that kindness. I love what you said. I heard you say this one time, our spiritual senses are sharpest when we're in the game. As you're entering the fourth quarter, the time's ticking off the clock, you know, the years of pastoring may be coming to an end and you're going to have a new title. You're going to have a new new assignment for the rest of your journey. How do you plan on keeping your spiritual senses sharp? Well, um, I think the key to transition is having something else to do. A lot of pastors don't know how to leave their senior pastor role because they have nothing else to do. And I'm going to spend the next seven or eight years of my life making sure that there's plenty for me to do after I quit being senior pastor of New Life Church. Because I meant what I said when I said that. The, the most dangerous thing I can do is, is to retire. Mm. So I'm going to transition, but I'm not going to retire. That's good. I'm going to change what I do. I'm not going to stop what I do. So as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to preach the gospel, love people, take care of the poor, disciple young leaders, do the things that I've always been doing. It'll be in a different role, a different capacity. Hopefully it won't be as demanding as I get older. I can do it at my own pace. But have something to do. Make sure that you're clear about your calling at every stage of your life. So in your 20s, you know, people talk about your calling more. I think we need to talk about your calling when you're 60 and 70. I agree. I agree. A lot of 60 and 70-year-olds are wrestling with their calling right now. And they are causing all kinds of problems in the local church because they don't know how. They have nothing else to do. Mm. And I'm determined that when I hit that exit ramp, I'm exiting onto something, not away from something. So that's my goal right now. You've preached about Jesus for all these years. You've taught your children who are now grown about him. You and your wife have lived for him and served for him and done it so faithfully. The The Bible says David served his purpose in his generation and then he was done. When when Pastor Brady closes his eyes here and opens his eyes there and you lock eyes with that Savior that you've told thousands about and you have spoken to every day, what do you want him to say to you? Well, I think we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the goal, right? Uh, but that that's not, that's not earned. That's already been given to me. Uh, when I said yes to him, his grace is enough for me. I, I, I want I want him to know. Uh, I want I want to look him in the eye and say, I first of all, thank you. Mm-hmm. He saved me by his grace. I was deep in the woods lost when he found me. So I, I think I'm going to spend the first several thousand years just saying thank you for for the life that he gave me that I didn't deserve, for the blessings that he poured out on my life that I could not earn on my own. He just blessed me, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the way he uh, has walked with me and not left me. I feel his presence and nearness to me every single day. 
I try to tell, I try to describe to people a Jesus that will not leave us, mm. who's not distant from us, who's not mad at us. And I suspect that when I see him for the first time, all that's going to prove to be true. That he's going to know my name. He's going to be proud of me. I'm going to be overwhelmed by him. I'm going to be stunned by how good he is. I, I, I don't think any of us can possibly imagine how good Jesus is, how, how much he loves us. Uh, I think his glory is going to be overwhelming to all of us. And I think we're going to look back on our lives and go, I wish I'd lived a different life if I'd seen the Jesus I'm seeing right now. Mm-hmm. And he's better than we think. He's, he is, uh, he's more than we can possibly imagine. And I can't wait to meet him, quite honestly. I have family and friends there that are waiting on me. And I, but more, before I meet my family, I want to meet Jesus. And I'm grateful. Grateful for the life he's given me. I hope he's given me a lot more years. I feel that. I feel strong. But for whatever days I have left, I'm going to make him known. It's just so encouraging to hear from those that have been there. They've been through it. They've experienced it. And they're still living to tell you about it and laughing and showing that you can get through if you'll just stick in there. Pastor Brady, thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thanks for being so vulnerable with your journey. And thank you for making our journeys a little easier and a little brighter and a little better because you took time to share from yours. Once again, if this episode spoke to you, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. It really does help us. Thank you again for joining today. Now, go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and place that God put you. And let's make a difference. Let's love God, let's love people, and let's live self. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 